welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. In this series, we discover that God has provided everything we need for life and godliness. Based in 2 Peter 1, we will explore God's invitation to participate in His divine nature in ways that we can cultivate a fullness of life. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. If you remember last week, what are you supposed to do here? If I say, His divine power, His divine power has given us, there we go, everything we need for a godly life. All right, now that you're in tune here, now that you remember, let's do this again. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Last week, I presented an overview. Those, of course, are the opening lines of verse 3 that we read from 2 Peter chapter 1. Last Sunday, I presented an overview of this passage that's going to be our focus for the summer. In that overview, I noted that the goal of the text, the inertia, the momentum of the text, is directed towards verse 11 a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. This is a value claim. This means that according to 2 Peter, the highest goal that you and I should set for ourselves is just that. To receive a rich rich welcome into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God really is just what it sounds like. It's a state of order of the world, submissive to the rule of God. A place and time where and when God is king. The way things were meant to be. The creator and his creation and all his creation at peace with absolute and unobstructed flourishing within creation. No more tears, pain, sorrow, strife, sickness, tragedy, sin, or death. The idea of the kingdom of God is at the center of Hebrew thought pretty much from day one. If you read the Bible from start to finish, it occurs very early. We have a picture of it in the first two chapters of Genesis. And then it is re-envisioned in the inauguration of God's covenant with Abram. We read God's promise to Abraham that sets the stage for the rule of God In Genesis 12, verse 2, where God says, I will make of you a great nation. Once again, God will work, creating a time and place where he rules. This is God's kingdom. We read, then we read throughout the Hebrew scriptures, reminders of this promise. For example, in Exodus 6, verse 7, God again states, I will take you for myself as a people. 
and I will be your God. In another case, God gives a dream to a non-Hebrew, a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar in the late 7th century BCE to remind his people of his promise. In chapter 2, verse 44, the source or the mouthpiece of this promise, Daniel, explains that the dream describes a time and a place where, and I quote, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Now, part of the nature of this promise, as you and I can really bear testimony to, is that this promise of a time and a place of God's kingdom sometimes strains the patience of those who await its culmination. It takes time to emerge. But the centrality of the kingdom of God and its importance is best illustrated in the teaching of Jesus himself. As soon, almost from the beginning of his ministry, of his public ministry, that is, as soon as Jesus started to go from place to place teaching people, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 reveals that as soon as he started this, he proclaimed, the kingdom of heaven has come near. In this case, heaven indicates where God's rule is absolute and will soon be included on earth. And same ideas are read in the other three accounts of the life of Jesus. The idea of the rule of God was vital, was central to the teaching of Jesus. But, of course, it is still the case that the final revelation of that promise, the promise of a time and a place where and when God will rule, God's rule will be absolute, is yet to be fully revealed. So, it requires patience. It requires trust. Most importantly, it requires faith. More on that in a moment. For this vision to take root in a person's life, that is, this vision of the centrality, the importance, the highest ideal, the highest value which the kingdom of God represents, in order for this vision to take root in a person's life, it's, uh, it requires a specific kind of worldview. A worldview is just that, how one, how you and I view the world and all that it is real. Some people refuse to consider that there is anything beyond what we can see, touch, or taste. This is the worldview most generally referred to as materialism. On this account, everything is reduced to a material root cause. We have thoughts because of the electrical firing of neurons, cells in our brain matter that conduct electrical impulses, which cause other material effects. For example, we smile, we cough, raise an arm, sit down, etc. This worldview holds that there are no immaterial objects. Objects like morals, consciousness, or existence beyond material death. 
Others hold to different kinds of stories. Some think we might be part of some computer program. A worldview made famous by the Matrix movies. Others think that we exist because of alien uh, interference of some sort. Of course, multiple religions offer various versions, and their claims include the explanation of something beyond what we see and touch. My point is this. With every claim about the nature of existence comes an accompanying claim about what is most important and based on accepted criteria. And unless you are a strict materialist, everyone else claims that more is happening than might appear at first glance. This is true about Christianity. While it might seem like life is controlled by various forms of governmental structures, economic forces, or even geopolitical aggression, Christianity claims that there is much more going on. In 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, which is our focus this morning, we learn that God has provided us with two gifts that are absolutely necessary for each of us to reach the goal of receiving a rich welcome into God's kingdom. Gifts that are not obvious at first glance at reality. But these gifts reveal to us what is really going on and, once again, what is really valuable. Let me reread those verses to help anchor our thoughts in the text. Verse 3 starts, His divine power has given us, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Then again in verse 4, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you and I may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So let's dig in. Gift number one, faith. I'm going to summarize this first gift that was introduced to us in verse 3 as faith, and then I'm going to try to explain why I think that, using two direct and two indirect references in 2 Peter chapter 1. First, the, the direct references of faith. There is a direct reference to faith in verse 5. You heard that this morning as Adam read. But if you remember, it is listed as the presumed starting point to the list of virtues. The reader is encouraged to make every effort to add to faith, goodness, goodness, knowledge, etc., etc. So the first thing to note about about faith in our passage is that it is the necessary foundation to build the links for a godly life. Remember last week I explained that these characteristics are best understood as links in a chain they emerge from within each other, that they are uh, dependent on each other, that they are intimately, as concepts go, as characteristics go, reliant on one another. And faith is that starting point. It's the starting point that in which the rest retain their constitution. 
In other words, the strength of that chain is dependent on that first link, that link of faith. To cultivate goodness, you need to have it linked to faith and so on. So the quality of each of the resulting characteristics is based on faith. A person can have a kind of goodness, knowledge, self-control, etc., those lists of virtues there, starting in verse 5, without faith, but the kind of goodness, knowledge, etc., that leads to the rich welcome into the kingdom of God only emerges from out of faith. Another direct reference to faith precedes our passage in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. And part of the greeting, uh, so if you look at the two verses previous to uh, the opening verses of actually 2 Peter, uh, part of the greeting of the letter inc- includes a comment about the status of the readers. The last part of verse 1 reads, To those, that is, the recipients of the letter, who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received faith as precious as ours. This is about the readers, right? The readers are those who have received a faith as precious of ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? So, in addition to the first link of, uh, in our characteristics of a godly life, faith is also a gift. Okay, there you go. We already knew that, or at least that's how I started this whole part of the message. I already hinted at it by calling a gift from the outset. But there's even more in this verse, and I just kind of touched on it just briefly. Other than confirming the nature, the gift nature of faith, it also tells us that this gift comes through or by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's our first indirect reference. So the gift of faith revolves around the righteousness of Christ. Okay, so I want to pause here to ensure something that we're all clear at this point. Remember, the reference at the beginning of 2 Peter is to those who have received the gift, right? I don't want you thinking at this point that God has made his gift such that it is automatically applied to each person. Understanding this is crucial. So I'll explain this shortly. Okay, so from the direct references in this first indirect one, we've, we've accomplished so far, or all we've accomplished so far, is adding a little bit of complexity to our concept of faith, right? Faith is a gift of God for the starting point of a godly life derived from Christ's righteousness. So now our question about faith includes an additional question. What is the righteousness of Christ? This is where we need another of our indirect references to faith present in 2 Peter chapter 1. So here are the indirect references. First, if we go a few verses beyond our passage, we read that the Jesus, the one whose righteousness is integral to faith, this is in verse 16, did come to us, the author says, through cleverly devised stories, but through eyewitnesses and eyewitness testimony. So the referent of these claims, that is, the righteousness, which is part of the gift of faith, 
is a person, a real person, not merely a made-up story. That's a claim. While the term faith is not used here, the reference is to the source of faith, Jesus Christ. So now, let's go back to verse 3 and recall that, remember, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. We got that part. Now hear this. How do we get it? Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So what's the glory and goodness of God? Chapter 1 of John's Gospel, we learn that God became a person and lived among people. The claims of Christianity, again, grounded in the life of a person. Then verse 14 of John 1 explains that these people, or some people who were alive at the time, recognized in this person, Jesus, his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. So here, the glory of God is associated with Jesus. The Apostle Paul also refers to Jesus as the Lord of glory in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8. And then finally, in the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul explains that Jesus shines the light of the glory of God. He's he's the image bearer. He's the shiner of God's glory. He's the representation. He's the one that provides us the context for God's glory. So you see, if Peter, if we read in 2 Peter that it is God's, based on God's glory and goodness, it once again is referring to Jesus. It is based on Jesus. Once again, our focus is drawn to him. There is an essential connection in Scripture between the gift of faith and Christ. Okay. What do we know about gift number one so far? First of all, we've learned a little bit about what faith is. Everything we need for a godly life. That is everything to successfully achieve welcome into the kingdom because that has ultimate value. This is the first link in the chain, faith. How do we get it? Through the person of Jesus Christ. More specifically, as 2 Peter states, through our knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, the complete application of this gift is based on our knowledge of Christ. And again, as we read in 2 Peter, God invites us or calls us to gain this knowledge and to accept this first gift. We are all called to know. God has called us. God has invited us in the very same way that uh, uh, as a parent would call a child at the end of the day to come in. Time to come in. Time to come home. Like that scenario, we know we are being called because we recognize the voice of the one calling. This call is for me. However, With God, there is rarely an audible voice. So we don't know we are being called by the sound of a familiar voice. So then how do we know we're being called? Well, verse 3 tells us we recognize the call through knowledge. 
Now, almost always, and probably you've heard this time and time again, whenever we read the word knowledge in the Bible, it entails much more than information. In fact, biblical knowledge is based on three pieces. The revelatory, that is information we couldn't otherwise possess, the structure of a worldview, the existential, an awareness that this applies to me, each of us saying that, an awareness, right, a deep, an abiding awareness that this applies to me, and the volitional, a choice to act, choosing to act. So let me just dig into these three things just for a moment here. First of all, a revealed worldview. So worldview, again, is the description of the way reality works. This comes to us on the Christian story by way of revelation. And what does this revelation, that is Scripture, gives us is that there is a source of, of um, there is a supreme being who created all that there is. This supreme being is both the source of action, he's the cause of everything that there is, but he's also the source of the nature of the effect. That is, the effect, uh, his creation carries with it his characteristics. We also learn from Revelation that this being, this supreme being, has revealed himself in his creation through spokespeople across history and finally and perfectly through Jesus Christ. Once again, we come face to face with Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ in this way is described in scripture in multiple ways. His message is described, his message and his person are described as an offense and a stumbling block. Because people, all of us, don't like to hear that there is a person who exists who is perfect, who is sinless. People, we don't, us, we don't like to hear that we are in trouble, that we are hopeless, that we are in deep, deep existential need for help, that no matter how rich, no matter how strong, no matter how healthy, things, how we feel about these things, we are in desperate, dire need for help. We don't like to hear that. And so the message, and this is exactly what Jesus said. I am the way, he said. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody, nobody gets to God except through me. Jesus lived his life without error. That's a tough one. Believing that there exists a person who lived his life perfectly without sin. That's tough. Why? Because you know yourself. I know myself. And I know how hard it can be to exist five minutes or even less without falling into temptation of something or another. And yet here's the claim that Jesus existed and was perfect. He was sinless. But see, it continues because it's that person 
who existed, who was sinless, who then claims to have offered himself in our place to cover all of our sin, past, present, and future. To satisfy God's wrath, to receive all of that wrath on himself. For why? For you and for me. This is the revealed worldview. This is the claim of Christianity. That each of us, and, and, and frankly, it doesn't matter how often you've come to church. One of my deepest concerns is that a person could come and attend Central and just think that they're saved because they're coming to church. That's not the basis for this faith. The basis for this faith is when you and I, when we as individuals, stand before God, when we confront this person of Jesus, and we say, what do I think? What am I doing with this man, Jesus? And we respond. And then through that, through the acceptance or the reception of what Jesus offers to us, then 2 Peter tells us that then we have everything we need. There are no bounds to God's grace and God's work in our life from that point on. So that's the revealed worldview. That is the revelatory part of knowledge. The second is the existential or the awareness that we need. I am in trouble. That is, that is the line. Do you know that? I am in trouble because I am tainted by sin. I'm affected by sin. By the corruptive influences all around that would direct us away. That would cause us to think that I'm good. I can do it on my own. I don't need Jesus. I can ignore all of that Jesus stuff. That is the sin that corrupts us. But then the next step is, what, does, what happens as a result of sin? Death. Eternal separation from God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. But while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ. Christ. Here we are, Jesus again, Jesus Christ. Christ died, not for himself. Why? Because we talked about that already. The claim is that he lived a perfect life. So while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Matthew 11, in Matthew 11, Jesus states that uh, no one can know this. That is, Christ has uh, sacrificed himself for us. No one can know this unless it is revealed to him by Christ. But the very next verse in Matthew 11 sheds light on who those people are. Come to me, says Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened, right? That's the awareness. Do you feel that? 
Do you feel that hopelessness without Christ? Do you feel that sense that I'm in trouble, I can't figure this out, I don't have the ability, I don't have the power within my own self to accomplish this? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. If you think you can do it on your own, if you think if you don't need uh, if you think you don't need God's help through Jesus, you lack important information. But the good news is that because of the perfect life and perfect sacrificial death of Christ, God stands ready to hear our confession, to hear our request for help. Stands ready to respond. Which leads us to our final piece of the knowledge that that scripture talks about. The realization that you and I need to choose. The response is what is called conversion. The changing of one's mind that is existential, that is, it, it includes everything that we have. This is not just, Christianity is not just something that is added to whatever, you know, we, we want to do in life. It's not something else in addition to what, what we do with our lives, our career or, or our family or whatever. This incorporates, this is the very uh, foundation of who we are and what we are. the changing of one's mind that is existential. It's much more than correcting incidental information. As in if the church's address is not 835 Pandora Avenue, but 833 Pandora Avenue, right? That's incidental information. That's not gonna change your life. But it's more like I'm heading over a cliff and I need help. I'm on the process, I'm on the pathway that leads to destruction and I need help. That's the response. That's the awareness that leads to response. That's the knowledge that leads to an awareness that leads to the response. That, was the, that is the first gift, faith. Now, don't worry, I don't need as much time to work through the second gift, the second of God's great gifts as introduced in 2 Peter chapter one. Gift number two, is hope. Hope is that which leads us to the end. It tells us that we are going somewhere and that the destination is worth the travel. Hope is what holds us true to the destination of our journey, no matter how long it takes, no matter what kinds of twists and turns encountered along the way. Hope is introduced in this letter by way of the promises of God. This is how 2 Peter explains hope is through the promises of God. Remember, the goal is to participate, or or he explains that the goal is participation in the divine nature, which I think is just another way of saying what what he says uh, in verse 11. The entrance into the eternal kingdom of God where there'll be no more pain and suffering No more sin and no more death. That is putting on immortality. That's the way Apostle Paul puts it in in his letters to to the Corinthian church. He describes it as if we're putting off mortality. That is this that dies and we're gaining immortality. That is the goal. That is the hope in these promises. 
There's also, though, more. So it's, hope doesn't just, isn't just something that is realized at the end, right, in that goal. But Second Peter explains that there is promises. There are promises attached to life here and now. That's where the cultivation of these characteristics come in, right? There's hope in not just the destination, but there's hope in the promises of God that provides for us here and now, in this life, in this world, right now. Right? The promises of, that we read of in, first, in Second Peter is that he's given us everything we need for a godly life. Here and now, not just waiting for us there, but now. So in addition to the grace that is offered to us at the end, the hope that is waiting for us at the end, there is also the, the instruments of grace waiting for us here and now that we cultivate in our life, that we add to our life, that we, that we allow to sprout out of our faith goodness. And out of that goodness, knowledge and self-control and godliness and everything else that we're going to talk through. Perseverance, mutual affection, and love. Both are a part of the hope. It's the end. Hope is the end and the journey. Cultivation of these characteristics in our life is just as important as the destination because, as the letter describes, otherwise, what's at risk here? We risk becoming corrupted by the influences of this world. Or, as Paul writes, we risk being squeezed into the mold of a worldly life. Not a Christ-like or to use Second Peter's terminology, a godly life. So in order for us to gain that hope that is the eternal hope, we must leverage the hope that is here and now. That is the cultivating of these characteristics. And live out a Christ-like or godly life. So there's two ways to respond today. At this point, I'm going to invite our uh, band to come up, get ready for our closing song. There's two ways to respond today. Each of us, here and now, today, can receive one of God's great gifts. First one would be to accept the first gift, faith. This is up to each of us. It is up to each of us to respond to the person and the work of Jesus Christ and accept it on our behalf. The glory and the goodness of God rests in Jesus Christ. And unless you and I receive it, it is just that. Just that. It's a gift that is presented, that is offered. We only recognize, we only uh, benefit from it when we receive it. So the invitation this morning to everyone, the question is, have you received it? Because this morning you can. Today you can. Whenever you're watching this, you can receive it. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer and invite you to respond, to pray along with me in your own heart. If that is the gift, if that is the gift that you are uh, receiving today. Right? Let me review. Without Christ, 
There is no possibility to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. It's not by our own efforts. It's not by good church attendance. It's not by anything. It's not even by uh, volunteering for urban adventures, as meritorious as that is at this stage. I'm just teasing, it's not. It's only by God's grace is given to us through Jesus Christ. And it's only when you and I as individuals stand before him, as it were, right? Hear the words of his invitation when he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Come and trust me with your life. Not in anything else. In me, Jesus says. That's it. He is the lone leader. And that is what begins the godly life. That is what begins, that is what comes, introduces us to then the hope that we have, we will have a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. It is part of the hope that we do have uh, everything that we need to achieve that, to get there. You can receive it. So if not accept faith, if you've done that, if you've been there, then let me encourage you this morning to pray a prayer to recommit yourself to retain that hope. It could be that some of us are here and are struggling in our faith because it's taking too long or there's too many twists and turns. There's too much pain still in this life. And if God really loved me, then why is all this going on? Those sorts of questions are, are important questions, are great questions. But the only antidote to those questions is, or the main antidote to those questions, is the cultivation of the characteristics that God provides. And it's through this, through um, recommitting to reinvigorating these things in our lives, that we gain the hope that keeps us taking step by step all the way to the end. Through all the twists and turns and all the ups and downs and all the unexpected things. It's the reevaluation of our life. Values and goals against the promises of God. Because remember, the claims of Christ are not incidental. It's not just added uh, to our life as something else. It is existential. It is absolutely essential for life. Without, the, without this hope, we risk, without leaning into this hope, not just for now, or not just for, for uh, hope in the future, but for now, without leaning in this, without cultivating these things, we risk that corruption. Next week, we're going to begin digging into these characteristics because the apostle makes a turn at the end of verse 4 to prepare the reader for the next group of verses, starting in verse 5. And here there's a change from first person plural, we, us, to the second person plural. The recognition that the author had achieved this and so now wants to encourage his readers, that's you and I, now to do these things. And we're going to start digging in as of next week. But for now, we're going to spend a bit of time praying. And I will invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me. And I want to do two prayers with you this morning. I want to invite all of you to consider receiving the gift of faith this morning. This gift that inaugurates everything. 
the gift that rests in the person of Jesus, this gift that, that uh, recognizes all that deep fear and concern that is there in you, it re- recognizes that and says, I have an antidote, God says, it's my son Jesus. Trust him, follow him. If you haven't done that yet, then let's pray, and in the quietness of your own heart, pray a prayer something like this. Let's pray. Father, I am uh, learning more and more about who I am and about who you are. And God, I recognize that I have so much yet to learn, but I do know this. I need help. I need your help. I recognize that for too long I have tried to do it on my own and for that I am sorry. For too long I have made mistakes and I have followed false uh, pathways that lead only to destruction. And God, I don't want that. I want what you offer. I recognize that Jesus Christ existed and that he lived perfectly and that in some way that is tough to fully grasp, he offered himself in my place to pay the penalty that I should have paid, that I deserve to pay, but he paid it for me and I accept his payment. And now God, I submit my life to you I want to follow Jesus and no turning back. Help me. Show me. Strengthen me. And God, thank you. Thank you for responding. Thank you for offering and thank you for this great gift of faith. I receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray another prayer with you. Uh, The prayer of hope. So would you please bow your heads and close your eyes. And if this one is where you are at right now, that you are struggling, that that faith, that gift that seemed so strong in your life has faded and ebbed, then then I uh, encourage you to pray a prayer something like this. Heavenly Father, I continue to acknowledge my need for your grace in my life. I continue to express my desire to follow your son Jesus, to trust in him, for there is no other name under heaven through which I can be saved. I recognize that again. I see in my life all the propensity, all the weak spots, and God, I recommit. I I restate that I need you. Father, I see that my hope is, is in Christ, and that hope is not just for something in the future, but for here and now. And so, Father, I commit again to you to cultivate these characteristics in my life, and so avoid the corruption that is all around me. 
to avoid being squeezed into the mold of a worldly life. God, I want to be a godly person. I want to be a Christ-like person. And so, Father, as we read in your word and others have stated before, I pray, increase my faith. Continue to show me the hope. Continue to... um, Uh, strengthen me to reveal these characteristics of a Christ-like life. And I'm thankful, Father, that this gift you give, I now receive the gift of hope anew. In Jesus' name, amen.